Today's guest is the one and only Jeremy Scher, who is the founder of Homeopathy for Health in Africa and the principal of the Dynamis School for Advanced Homeopathic Studies. This is the longest episode we have ever had on the show, and that's with very good reason. Jeremy is truly a treasure trove of information, which he shares with such passion and a great big smile. In this episode, we'll be talking about his new children's book that will be released before the end of the year. The date has not been confirmed yet, but if you email his assistant, Liz, she'll add you to the mailing list so you can be notified as soon as his book is out. So her email is Liz, L-I-Z, at dynamis.edu, D-Y-N-A-M-I-S dot E-D-U, or check the show notes. And if you'd like to have access to a huge selection of Jeremy's work, check out his Patreon site, which is going live today, the 23rd of November. So the link is www.patreon.com forward slash Jeremy Scher, J-E-R-E-M-Y-S-H-E-R-R, or check the show notes. So he'll be sharing more about this in the episode today. We'll also be discussing noble gases, pandemics, mandemics, vaccine injury, and so much more. Be sure to check out the video of this episode on YouTube. We are now also on Rumble as YouTube recently removed my video with Leia Golden where we discussed COVID vaccine injury. So this episode also means, mentions vaccine injury. So if it does get removed from YouTube, be sure to check out, us out on Rumble and check the show notes for more information or visit www.dynamis.edu. That's www.dynamis.edu or check out Homeopathy for Health in Africa. Thanks for listening. I know you're going to love this episode. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now my mum and your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangout. Today, we have the one and only Jeremy Scher on the show. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you so much. And it's really a pleasure to meet you. I've heard so much about you. Oh, I have heard plenty about you as well. <laughs> Today is going to be a fun episode because we have so much to cover. And I wonder, though, if you can start, Jeremy, with telling us how you were first introduced to homeopathy. I'm going to start with something else and then I'll go into that. I'll just say that we are from the same tribe. Me and we you from South, South Africa. <laughs> we are both Aries yes. in the right week of Aries. I will yes. tell you that. that's the best Aries week. <laughs> And we both believe that mothers are the root and the grassroots of homeopathy that needs to be cultivated. I do a lot of research. I do a lot of media. I try in every way to propagate homeopathy on this planet that I can. But I believe there's nothing as powerful as mothers. So I'm with you on that. Yes, I love it. Love it. Okay. <laughs> Good. So now, how did homeopathy find me? I was a hippie in the time when it was fashionable to be a hippie, but I was also into kind of alternatives, which didn't include homeopathy at the time. It was like nutrition, massage. I actually, I had one of the first health food shops in London and making muesli, which was totally radical at the time and baking bread and stuff like that. This was 1977. One night I was in a pub, I was squatting in London, and I was in a pub and I, I was a bit sloshed and a bit stoned, I believe, as one does at the time. And if you're I a started true hippie, yes. to, Yeah, I was, I was a true hippie, yeah. <laughs> I had hair up there at the time. I want photos, I want photos. 
I can send it to you. I have. <laughs> anyway, so I spoke to this bloke. I asked him what he's doing, and he said homeopathy. I said, what's that? And he said, okay, I crashed out. And I woke up in the morning, and I went, bing. And then I'm like, okay, this is interesting. But there was nothing available. There was nothing in London at the time that I knew about. There were a couple of well-known teachers, but hidden in corners of London. So I went back to Israel, to my homeland, had the obligatory motorcycle accident and stayed in, lay in the hospital for six months, which was really good because I had this one book about alternative medicines, which was new and radical, 300 alternative medicines. And I read them all. And the only one that really grabbed me was homeopathy. Still nowhere to learn. And then one day I was walking down the street. I had tonsillitis, which I got three times a year. And my dad, who was a doctor, refused to give me antibiotics, which really pissed me off. How come all my friends gave me, got antibiotics and I didn't? And then I saw this homeopathic pharmacy or pharmacy that did some homeopathy. I went in there and they gave me this bottle with about 50 remedies inside. I took it and my tonsillitis vanished. So I'm like, okay, bang. And now where can I study? And it took me till 1980 to, to find a college in London. I got on the first plane. I went there. I studied and I fell in love on the first weekend. And I've been in love since. That's 42 years ago. Aww. And I'm still as enthusiastic and passionate about homeopathy as I always was. Maybe more. Oh, speaking about love, your wife has been on the show yeah. as well, the lovely Camilla. And you know what's funny? She, she told us that she found homeopathy in a bar as well. So you two have we a common thread. <laughs> we, we do. We, that is correct. Oh, I love yeah. that. Now, a little birdie has told me that you, hmm. with uh, a very great dad, that is very good at making up stories for your children at nighttime. Yeah. And yeah. that this has now culminated into a children's book. Can you please tell our listeners about that, what it's about? Because is it out yet? And tell us all the goss. I'll be happy to. I have six kids and four girls uh, and two older ones, two younger ones. And I was telling them this bedtime story and it just went on for the first two for two or three years. And then 10 years later for the second two, I elaborated upon it all the time. And every day here in, I was here in Africa, I would go to clinic in Africa and I would think what's the next episode going to be. And then I would come back and tell them the next episode and they loved it. They wouldn't go to sleep without it and they wanted more and more. But it became quite sophisticated, and every time I was adding stuff, it became a story. So I decided I'll write it. Now, up till then, I've written about 10 homeopathic books, but I've never written a fiction. And it was loads of fun. I loved it. Much more fun than writing a professional book, I have to say, because it's your own little world and you can do what you want. Mm. I wrote the first version. And I made the mistake of trying to stick my whole life philosophy into it in a kind of children adult way. Then all the publishers agents said it's too long for a middle grade child's book, which is supposed to be it's all very regimented these days with books. So if you don't do it exactly the way they want it, number of pages, age, all that stuff, they won't even look at it. 
and everybody and your uncle is writing a book since COVID. Yeah, it feels so, that way. <laughs> Me too. <yeah. laughs> I'm Me not doing too. very so well, but I've got <laughs> You've got the plan. So I wrote to 700 agents. Nothing. Oh, wow. Just, just a few tastes here and there, but they don't look anymore. And really, if it doesn't fit their factory parameters, it's a waste of time, which is why everybody is going to self-publishing. Anyway, I think it's a wonderful book, which I would. But so do other people, friends, family, and whatever who read it. So I'm encouraged by that. Of course, I take the opportunity to put hints of homeopathy inside oh. for mothers and kids in a kind of subtle way, not in your face, but just trying to make it, them aware of it. And so it's been ready for a few years while I tried to find an agent. I finally gave up on that. So I'm self-publishing and it will be out 1st of December. So I'd oh, be so amazing. happy if you bought it and gave me a five-star review. That would Because I don't care. I just want people to read it because I think it's fun. It's an adventure book. It's exciting. It's a page turner, but it has bits of philosophy and stuff in it. Oh, that sounds beautiful. And what sort of age range would you say it's for? It's the protagonists are 12-year-old girls. So it's it's clean teen, mm. no drugs, no smoking, no sex, no nothing. It's just down the line adventure. But really, I think it's for good for up to 98 years old. I think anybody would enjoy reading it. And it's a great Christmas reading Ooh, book. Excellent. Yes. Yeah. And uh, who, what's the name of the book? The Noble Adventures of, Car of Beryl and Carol. Oh, Beryl and Carol. I was going to ask who the, who are the heroes in the book, but I'm guessing it's Beryl and yeah. Carol. <laughs> Beryl and, and Carol. And why, who why later the names? On, Beryl and, and Carol, it's, they started out being Beryl and Peril. I don't know if you remember Beryl and Peril from the comic books. No. You don't. You're, yeah, you're a bit too young. They used to I, be I a read comic Archie book comics book. in my time. <laughs> Archie. Okay, Archie, Archie is yeah. a classic. There was the Beano and the Dandy. And Beryl of the Peril is the hero of the Dandy and the Beano. Okay. So it was Beryl and Peril. Then it changed to Beryl and Carol. The Noble is the interesting part because I'm obsessed with the Noble gases, have been for, I don't know, since 1987. So I've been on this journey investigating the Noble gases in homeopathy all this time and it's still ongoing i i'm just finishing my fourth book on one of the noble gases krypton i've written on helium neon argon and now neon as remedies i've done the provings of all of them and the books are taking the proving which is raw material it's if you read it most people would be a bit bored un unless you go deeper and then it's totally fascinating so i kind of evolving it into a materia medica that people can read and understand and use in clinic. Mm. So I'm on this noble journey of noble gases and all that. And they're on this noble journey, but it's a different kind of a noble journey. But it's the nobility of them. But there's a quote by Ernest Hemingway, who lived right next door here in the Kilimanjaro. So we from the same place. I can't remember the exact quote, but it's people cannot measure their nobility against others. You can only measure your nobility against who you were yesterday. And that is the kind of thrust of the book because it starts off with these scared, unconfident, bullied 
two young ladies and they turn into two powerhouses that succeed in their mission. And it's how following them turning from plain to noble. So that's the noble part of it. Oh, I love that. That sounds very inspiring, especially 12-year-old girls these days. They've got so many oh, bizarre images, especially if they're on something like Instagram. And I was actually just mm -hmm. listening to Jordan Peterson yesterday talking about the impact that things like Instagram has on women and their mm -hmm. mental health. And it's very scary. On my way to work in the mornings, I see these young girls, 12 mm -hmm. years old, standing at the bus stop yeah. with their faces in their cell phones. And you're just thinking, what is the images that they're feeding uh, themselves with? I wish it was 12, but it's six. Oh, I know. And this is a kind of antidote to it because it's not only the Instagram and all that, it's in literature because mm -hmm. literature to sell has to turn on the weird button mm. and put in stuff that is tantalizing, mm. put it like that, mm. and in order to make it interesting for young people. But I'm trying to do the opposite. I'm trying to write something clean with values that is fun and adventure and bring back to that place. Oh my gosh, you're giving me goosebumps. It really sounds like the perfect Christmas present if you've got a girl that's just heading into that teenagehood and she's unsure and her friends are maybe making her doubt herself about who she is. This sounds like a exactly, perfect yeah. book exactly for that. It is. Even from, I've had kids six, seven, eight years old read it and they enjoy it. So it can be any age. Oh, yeah. beautiful. My daughter is about to turn 80 years old. So that might be a book that I can oh, read nice. to her. Okay, mm. there you go. That's for Christmas reading for you and her. Oh, I love it. I love reading to her. Now, yes. you are known as the king of epidemics. <laughs> Tell us about the books that you're writing on epidemics. I'm, COVID must have been so much fun for you. <laughs> it was fun, but it was hard work. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it was an accident waiting to happen, really. Yes. But I've been because I teach postgraduate studies. I have the longest running postgraduate school in the world in homeopathy since 1986. Mm. It's a good thing I started young, otherwise I'd, I'd probably have croaked by now. But now, it's George like... Wilkes is 90 now, isn't he? You've got plenty of yes, years he is, left, you? Yes, he is. Yeah, <laughs> Because uh, I remember going there to study with him at 24 years old. He was 50-something. Oh, wow. And he's still going. Actually, one of the homeopaths on my team, Sarah Scott, she studied with you as well mm -hmm. a few years ago. And the in-person course in uh, London, I believe. So, yeah, she <laughs> only has amazing things to say about you and rave about you. But, yeah, tell us about that. So, in my school, at the end of the program, I've always taught the philosophy of epidemics. Mm. Now, this is not a well-known subject in homeopathy and amateur homeopaths wouldn't know about it. But there is a system, a homeopathic system of treating epidemics, which is totally radical and is a tribute to Hahnemann's genius. He developed it and it's not the ordinary thing of what you see a case of COVID and you give a remedy, see another case and give another remedy. It's actually an anthema to that because what it's about is learning to see the epidemic as if it was one person. Hmm. Meaning you take 50, 100, 1,000, 10,000 cases and you bring them together and you look at it as if it's one organism. So. Imagine you're trying to teach to treat a hive of bees. So, you know, you treat B 20,532, finish with him, B 20,553, etc., etc. Makes no sense at all. You've got to look at the hive as a whole. 
You've got to perceive what's happening with the whole organism. You've got to understand the queen and what she's, where she's going, because she's moving the whole thing. And you've got to see the totality around that. And you've got to weave a web of meaning that says, this is the idea that's happening with this hive. Then you can really reach the center of that epidemic. Otherwise, you're just messing around on the periphery, going round and round in circles. This is, it's really a big subject, and I, I teach it for weeks in homeopathy, how to get that approach, how to bring them together as one person, to sort, analyze, synthesize all the symptoms, repertorize them, and make them into one concept. Mm. So now I taught that for many years, but I didn't have enough practical experience because there are not that many epidemics in the West. There weren't, at least at the time. Mm. I treated flu epidemics and stuff like that, but it's not enough to really sink your teeth into it. And this is one of the reasons I came to Africa. It's not the main reason, but I, professionally, I wanted to challenge myself with the epidemic, a pandemic at the time, and see how the system works, if it works, and take it further. That was one of my challenges when I came here, to find the idea behind AIDS mm. and to find the remedies, the group of remedies in homeopathy. It's called the genus epidemicus, which is a group of remedies that fits the idea of the epidemic as a whole. I thought, and everybody and their uncle was telling me about, I gave this remedy in a case of AIDS, I gave that remedy in a case of AIDS. That totally didn't interest me because that exactly what I don't want to do is treating B1, B2, B3 instead of looking for the queen. So when I came here, I said, not saying anything about remedies for AIDS until I treat 500 cases. When I treated 500 cases, I said, 3,000. Mm. Okay, so I treated 3,000 cases until I arrived at a idea of what this whole big organism is about. I needed 3,000 because AIDS being 50 million people needs a large representation. If you have a small epidemic of 50 people, you need six people to get the idea. But this was different. You need a large representation to see what it's about. So I, I understood AIDS, I so, saw so many cases that I knew the symptoms by heart, mm. but that also meant I knew a symptom that was different and strange mm. and stood out. And, and then I could fit it all together. So I collected all those thousands of symptoms mm. and I made one entity out of it. And then I found the remedies for that entity. That's the hard bit in epidemics. The hard bit comes at the beginning. And the easy bit comes later because once I had those 15 remedies for AIDS, mm. it became extremely easy to teach not only homeopaths, but what we call barefoot doctors, Maasai in, in the field, or people who are in clergy, or physiotherapist, nurse, whoever, mm. how to use them very quickly. Even volunteers that we come out here with little experience and idea, I could teach them how to treat AIDS quickly Amazing. with a huge amount of efficiency because you are aiming for the queen, mm. because you are looking at the whole hive and not one by one, it's much quicker and it's much more effective. Mm. So the amount of success that we have with AIDS is too unbelievable for me to say here, so I won't say it because then people will say, no, can't be. But 
Actually, AIDS is one of the easiest things for us to treat. It's really a piece of cake in terms of uh, what I mean is what I want to see is just I want to see people feeling better, mm. having much more energy mm. and eating better. Mm. These are the first three things. And I'll tell you why. It sounds not so important in first world countries, but here nobody has a dollar hidden under the bed or in the bank or something. What you get that day is what you eat, what you feed your children. Now, the only work there is in the field, and that's eight to 10 hours standing with a hoe in the hot sun and working for mothers, who's usually the husband died from AIDS first for all kinds of reasons. That's most of our clientele is widows, two, three, four, five kids, and they have to work for the two bucks, one buck a day in order to feed those kids. Wow. Now, if they've got no energy and they're not eating, they're going to die in two, three, four weeks, but the kids will be orphans on the street. So you have to get them back to work quickly, which means energy and appetite. Now, fortunately, we see huge influence in that within a week to two weeks. If I'm not seeing a radical change in that in two weeks, I'll be surprised it hardly ever happens. Actually, when it happens that we fail, I'm quite happy about that because sometimes I think, am I imagining this? Is it, is it placebo? Is it my charisma? What is it? Or I want to understand the corner cases that I'm not helping and why. But it doesn't happen often. Wow. Now, other than that, I want to see the side effects of antiretrovirals mm. reducing. And I want to see the CD4, the blood count viral load improving, which we do. Now, I'll say here for all the skeptics, hello, <laughs> we do not take people off antiretrovirals ever. We mm. do not interfere with their regime, their medical mm. regime. We work together with doctors in two hospitals as well as all the rural clinics. They send us their clients and we do not take them off drugs. In fact, we send them to hospital for checkups to see what's happening. Mm. Now, there's no definition for the cure of AIDS. According to modern medicine, you can't cure AIDS because if the virus vanishes from the blood, they say it's undetectable, it's hiding in the liver of a spleen or the bone marrow. So you can't prove that you've cured it. And I don't care to prove that I've cured it. It's not my business. I care to say that patient is totally better. No symptoms, energy, no side effects, better blood count. And because I've seen so many cases, I can compare what homeopathy does to what conventional medication antiretroviral does. And it's like, there's no comparison. What we can achieve with homeopathy is a whole huge amount better. Mm. than what allopathy can achieve. And I can show that with video cases. Whereas allopathy, let's say your CD4 count is of AIDS patient is 250. That will go up with conventional medication at the best two by 200 to 400 to 450. With us, it can jump up to 900, 1200, 1500, which is more than healthy. It's amazing, Jeremy. Anyone who's watched the documentary Just One Drop with the lovely Ananda Moore that came to visit you guys there on site and you see the people there and they're getting better and the videos don't lie. You see this woman that's just completely so weak, can't even eat anything else and mm -hmm. then so much better after the remedies. Yeah. That's not placebo. We've got lots of those videos and they're available for people to see if they want to. They're there.
my practical experience with AIDS, and I made a lot of innovations, not in any way changing Hahnemann's and Kent's instructions, because they had it perfectly right, but in adapting it to the modern world. That is, how to use it with homeopathic software, how to use it with modern repertories and stuff like that. So I just elaborated on it. So when COVID came, I was totally ready. Mm. I had the whole system, how you do it and how you use the software, how you use the technology. I had the whole thing laid out and I knew how to do it exactly. The only thing that changed from 2010, five, when I started treating AIDS to 2020 was there was Zoom. Mm. That meant that I could assemble teams from all over the world. So I was working with teams under me that in from New York, Israel, England, Russia, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, India, all over. And the great thing was that I was getting a lot of feedback very quickly. So mm. I would be, I did a series of eight free webinars. Mm where I taught the philosophy of epidemics, and then I collected loads of COVID symptoms from all the students, and I put them like that together as if one person. So mm. I could perceive the epidemic in a much finer way than the allopaths who have about 10 symptoms. I had about over 500 symptoms because homeopathy is that much finer. Mm. Then I could put it all together suggest remedies, get feedback, suggest more remedies, tighten it up, eliminate mm. the remedies that didn't work. So within four or five months, we had it down to a T and getting a measured 92% success. In fact, mm. I don't remember one case that we lost to this epidemic in homeopathy. And the people all over the teams, which were called homeopathy help now, Mm. Started in the school, a school of homeopathy, Denise Markov and Al Gray in New York, and they were delivering the remedies to people. Then we copied their model to Israel, to Russia, to all over the world. Wow! And so we were offering immediate help, free, and with remedies delivered to the door, because people were in lockdown and all that stuff, and getting amazing results and. <clears throat> extremely effective. And I've carried on with that, adapting to the epidemic as it went in through Delta, Omicron, which is different remedies. I was about to somewhat. ask you that as yeah. the variants came out, did you find that the remedies changed? They do change. And this is one of the things that Hahnemann says in paragraph 100 in the organ. And he says that you have to see the phases as they develop and you have to roll with it. In fact, you know, this paragraph 100 in the organ, and it's not named 100 for nothing, because it says that the main attitude of treating an epidemic is to be here now. Mm. It's the Zen of homeopathy, meaning you cannot cling to, I saw an epidemic like this five years, two years, one year ago. No, it's not going to work. You've got to be with that epidemic as it rolls at every moment. And this is a key to be as dynamic as that virus, because that virus is dynamic. Yeah. And you have to match its dynamism, its movement in order to deal with it. If you stay last year or last week, you're not matching its pace as it rolls forward. Omicron remedies can be quite different to the first remedies that came along. 
the great result of that is so many more people are into homeopathy as a result. Absolutely. And yeah, schools which were nearly empty before are now full again, which is wonderful. Homeopathy's so, always done so well in epidemics, though. The scarlet fever, cholera, it's always epidemics indeed. is really when homeopathy shines and i just feel like it's one of the most perfect times for covid to have happened and homeopaths are busier than ever before and i have over yeah. a dozen of my clients that have enrolled in homeopathy school in the past year like just this year Amazing. alone over a dozen of my clients it's unbelievable it's i'm so excited for this whole new cohort of homeopaths that we're going to have in a few years time you've got to love covid because look, I'll tell you something. When you look deep at the philosophy of epidemics, they are acute by nature. Acute disease as op opposite to chronic disease. Acute disease and, and chronic are diametrically opposite. They are in fact the flip over of each other. The chronic, it should be like that, the chronic flips into the acute. The truth comes out. So what happens during COVID, during any acute, is the truth comes out. The truth that we're over-polluting the planet, over-traveling, abusing our resources. Suddenly everybody's in lockdown, nobody's flying, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I was over the moon, <laughs> not to be over the moon, not to be flying all the time because I was flying 20 times a year. And now I could just be at home and relax. So as an acute disease... I don't know, Jeremy, were you really relaxing? <laughs> In a different way. <laughs> Acute disease are curative to the chronic. That is the basic thing of them. Unless they kill you with a fever, which they can do if the fever goes too high, but otherwise they like, a, have you got a pressure cooker? Mm, I do. You remember pressure cooker. So, <laughs> so These days they, they make it the much valve. safer though. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they do, but they still have a valve, right? Yeah, they do. Yes, I've got a and, thermo pot. I think it's all. I know what's it called. Anyway, never mind. I've got one. <laughs> yeah, that valve is the acute disease. Mm. It's a valve to the pressure that builds up in the chronic. Now, what's interesting, what I found in Omicron is pretty unique. Before that, Alpha and Delta were helping the planet in terms of the amount of pollution reduced, the ozone hole covered up, animals were roaming yes. in the street. The safaris here were beautiful. Mm. It was both the animals were having a party. It was great. But the Omicron kind of healed people on the individual level. Because in many cases where I saw Omicron and I saw thousands, it's like suddenly I don't feel like coffee. I don't want to smoke anymore. I just feel like relaxing in my life. I, I don't want to be tidying up the house obsessively. All those kind of things, I gave up Coca-Cola, whatever it is that is an obstacle for people during the Omicron, they suddenly drop it. And if they could stay with that, it was very healing and very nice for them. There are always benefits in acute disease, but there's a risk, it could kill you, as COVID in the beginning did in a few cases. But of course, this leads us to the third big epidemic that I'm dealing with, which is much worse than the previous two. And that's not an epidemic, I call it a mandemic. Yeah. which is a vaccination. Now, the vaccination is the really negative side to come out of the whole COVID thing, yeah. out of what we call the pandemic. Mm. But And then comes the vaccination. Now, first of all, let me say this. I know some of you mums, people out there have vaccinated. Do not let me worry you with this because, you know, a lot of people 
come out of it fine, and I'm sure you will, and you don't have to worry about it, but clean yourselves out with good homeopathy, with good nutrition, with detoxes and whatever it is, okay? But don't get worried about it. But some people do get whacked, and they mm. get whacked badly. Mm. Now, because I'm from Israel, I'm from South Africa, but I you know, grew up yeah. in Israel, I, Israel was the first country to accept the vax. Mm. And as an experiment, they did the experiment on a huge population without acknowledging that they're experimenting. Now a lot of the truth is coming out. They're actually the Helsinki Committee, which is responsible for all research, said this is illegal. Mm. It's also against the Nuremberg laws, mm. which were made after the Jews got all these experiments on them in the Second World War. It contravenes all of that totally. Mm. It contravenes every medical ethic that there is. Mm. Now, so in Israel, and I know in other places, there's a lot of damaged people. Mm. And Certainly now, here in Australia, some, we're seeing so much of yeah. that. But homeopathy has been amazing. The results that we've had in clinic with vaccine-injured children yeah. and adults have been mind-blowing and so encouraging. It yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Complete there's, skeptics there's woman, that, that come and see us because literally nobody else has got any answers for them. They'd reluctantly they drag don't. their heels into our clinic as a last resort, and we're getting such great results, and they're telling their friends it's amazing. That's, it's wonderful. That's excellent to hear. Mm. Uh, so then I did the same thing with the vax. I took all the cases as if one, and I oh. came up with some radical remedies that uh, are not the common ones used that are really marvelous. Yeah, and so, things like that. So diff so you actually uh, took the vaccine injuries as if it's a genus epidemicus in itself, exactly. which it is. Oh, that's very yeah. smart. Yeah. And then I found remedies that I haven't even heard of that are amazing. And I have that as a webinar. It was free online for two years. Now it's going into my Patreon, but it can be watched there. And it's, so some remedies that are, I'll give you one example. It's a remedy I've never used since, which is the Indian red scorpion. Oh, wow. Now, this Indian red scorpion, I just, I'd work day or night on these cases, and it's, it's amazing how well it fits the vaccination damage. You think of a scorpion like a vaccination, it's similar, but it's calling all these blood clots and everything yeah. else. So it's way beyond what Thuya can do and the likes. And it's helped hundreds, thousands of people that have used it in the right circumstances and other remedies like that. That's the benefit of doing it as a whole because you find out little known remedies that you wouldn't automatically go for. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> anyway, in Israel, this one woman did a project where she made a movie of an ongoing movie of all these vax damage cases, mm -hmm. which you can see online. Mm -hmm. It's vax testimonials, dozens of cases of people interviewing. And I treat all those, not all, whoever wants to, I treat for free then we're getting very good results with that, with, and that's great to see. But pandemics are much more difficult than natural pandemics you know, or epidemics. That's what Hahnemann says in paragraph 76. He said, natural disease, God made a remedy for every natural disease there is, mm. but he didn't make remedies for artificial diseases to the same degree. It's, and so, they can be difficult. We get amazing results, but it can be difficult sometimes. Once again, I'm saying if you, I'm sure a lot of you had two vaxes and until you wisened up, 
don't worry if you're okay that's a sign you're okay if you're not okay and you might even have got placebo because there was a lot of placebo involved but if you're not okay then there's homeopathy and we'll sort you out so not to worry okay it's a beautiful message because fear in itself is actually yeah. fear can kill you in itself so actually getting yeah. worked up about something and make you fear so is what made people take the vaccination in the first place Absolutely. Fear and, and all that and don't worry if you have even a slightest symptom of vertigo or weakness or something like that you can treat it with homeopathy you'll be fine it's like interesting you, you say better. about the red Indian scorpion because the Boothus Australis, uh, Leah Golden, Isaac Golden's daughter, I spoke with, and she said Boothus Australis, mm. which is an Australian scorpion, I believe, was really good. That's where they got it from because I spoke to Isaac about it. I advocated the red Indian scorpion. Isaac didn't have it, so he tried the Boothus Australis. Okay. And he said, he told me that he was getting good results with that as well, just because it was, it's difficult to get that red Indian scorpion. My first proving was Israeli scorpion. Okay. That was how I got, that's how I got well known in homeopathy, because I'll tell you the story, okay? I came to England to study homeopathy. I lived on a kind of alternative farm in not a kibbutz now okay. that's too straight for me alternative energy hippie self-sustainable blah blah <laughs> so people were getting stung by scorpions a lot because we were in a very rural area so when i came i started to study homeopathy i looked in the materia medica no scorpion <clears throat> so i said wow how come there's no scorpion there was small things but nothing so i went back my friend and myself we went on the hill and we caught the scorpion I brought him back to England in a jar and he sat there in the jar on my desk in my bedsit for three months. It wouldn't drink, wouldn't nothing, but he lived. He was alive. I didn't know what to do with him because the problem was I didn't have a application. I didn't know what kind of scorpion ah. was. I didn't want to let him loose on the English unsuspecting population. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't know what to do. In the end, I had to kill Paul William, but was sad. William. So then I went back to Israel and I went to the Scorpion Institute and they gave me identified scorpion, which is the most poisonous in Israel. I don't think it compares to your Australian ones or the Indian ones, but it's pretty bad. And that was my first proving. Now, and then people, nobody was doing provings then. And people wanted to hear about a new proving. So it was interesting. So I got invited places and I got teaching. <laughs> was that now, androctinous? Because I'm just, which... Which is Israeli one. Okay. It was, I'll tell you another, I'm, I'm trying to amuse you here. Please <laughs> amuse away. So, it makes for great listening. <laughs> in, in 19, I think 84, I finished this first proving of Scorpion. They invited me to the, they didn't invite me. There was a famous homeopath, Dr. Jacques Imbrecht from Belgium. And he wanted me to come to the Liga conference to lecture about it. Now, the Liga is the doctors. And at the time, being a non-doctor homeopath, a professional homeopath, I was a persona non gratis in this, in this Liga conference. But he said, no, come, it will be fine. You'll be okay. I'll protect you. <laughs> so I came there, but I was scared out of my wits that they'll discover I'm not a doctor and crucify me. Anyway, I lectured on the scorpion, which was interesting. And I thought, okay, I'm safe. And Jacques was with me, protecting me. But then on the last day, I got landed in the lunch table 
with the faculty of homeopathy of uh, the English faculty of homeopathy. Oh, yeah. No, the English, which are which were worse, and they were, <laughs> and and I was shaking that they'll find out who I was and where I came from. And I, I admit I had to lie and say I'm a doctor, and I studied in Italy somehow. I came up with that. <laughs> well, you've lived to tell anyway, the tale. <laughs> I survived. And since then, I've been invited to many Liga conferences. They've softened up their attitude totally, which is great. But so I know about scorpions. And I would say the most fitting is the red Indian scorpion, but the, because it's got neurotoxic qualities and blood coagulating qualities, it's very fitting. Isaac told me they're getting great results with Buthus, so that's good to hear. I'll tell you uh, that I've had great results with Buthus because I had Leia mm -hmm. on the podcast. Oh, she was uh, yeah. early on. So, you know, a few months ago, and we've been using Buthus since then in my clinic. And I've had right. so many of the mums who have had all sorts of clots in the menstrual blood after being in contact mm -hmm. with somebody who's had the vaccine. They've had wonderful yeah. results. So, yeah, I can definitely yeah, vouch for that. That's good to know. And another one to remember is Bothrops lanceolatus, which is a, a snake, but it's a snake that specializes in coagulating blood and causing clots. That's also proved a very good remedy as well. There are many others because it, there's other sets of symptoms that are not so drastic, like weakness, loss of memory, stuff like that. And we have other remedies for that. But I can happily send you the list of remedies that, that we use, Naxmoshata, Lumina, that we use for vaccination. That's incredible. Yeah. And have you found that there was a different set of symptoms depending on which brand of vaccine people have, or was it pretty much the same uh, across the board? There is to a degree. I found AstraZeneca to be absolutely awful, really knock people over in a slightly different way. But Moderna and Pfizer were too fine to differentiate between. I think more pertinent is that they use different amounts and different mixtures in even Pfizer. So you don't know. You could be getting Pfizer 1 out of 10 or Pfizer 10 out of 10 because they were experimenting on people. And I think that makes a huge difference. Good yeah. question for you, Jeremy. Why do you reckon it's harder treating a mandemic than a pandemic? That's a good question. It's not natural pathology that mm. develops slowly, organically in well-known pathways. We know how a diabetes develops, how a cancer, how a TB develops, and it's got its kind of pace. But uh, allopathic medication is much more aggressive mm. and, uh, and it bypasses those pathways and uh, it, it will always call the, cause disease. Hahnemann talks about it also in 31, 32, 33. Mm. I'll give you an example for the difference. There's two kinds of thieves, opportunistic thieves and deliberate thieves. Mm. Opportunistic thieves, they walk down the street they see you left your iPhone on the windowsill, you know, while you're checking your apple pie and they iPhone free window, no one there, take it off they go. You can deal with that by being careful, keep your window closed, don't put your iPhone on the windowsill, you know, look after yourself, etc. Find the old iPhone with your machine. A deliberate thief will come through the wall of your house with a bulldozer, break the wall, shoot you, find your iPhone and your safe and take them. That is much more difficult to deal with. It's the velocity 
It's the deliberateness, mm. it's the suddenness, it's mm. the bypassing natural pathways that make it much more difficult. I'm not saying impossible because we're getting great results with the pandemic, but it's more difficult. Yeah. I can certainly say that with my treatment of steroid withdrawal syndrome in some of my clients, mm. that it looks like eczema, but it's not. And it is so yeah. much harder to treat yeah. than actual eczema. Right. And because it's Indeed. all, it's disease created. And oh my gosh, that's a whole other story. There's but two things. There's a formula that I use in epidemics. I don't know if you remember it from physics class. It's like energy equals mass times velocity squared. You remember that? Yeah. MC E <laughs> equals MC squared, the same thing. Now, the velocity of a disease is its speed, its suddenness. Mm. And the velocity of a vaccination, for instance, is much more abrupt and sudden than the velocity of the COVID virus, mm. for instance. Once they stick it into your blood and that's it. Yeah. You poison. Yeah. Within minutes. Mass, so that's the velocity squared. Yeah. But mass, however, is the quantity that they give and the duration that they give it. It's that constant heavy force. So when people are on steroids for two weeks, you can deal with it. Mm. When people are on steroids for over two years, it's a mission. I'm telling you, moms, people out there, once again, there's always hope. There's always stuff you can do. You can always help. So don't give up on it. If you've been on steroids for 5, 30, 40 years, you can be helped. Promise you. It's just a bit more difficult. It takes more time. It takes more energy. Mm. You've got to give it that time. You've got to know that it's a journey to come of mm. the drugs. Mm. And Your body wants them, but you to will heal. Get yeah, you will. You'll heal. But give it the time. One thing about homeopathy is people think, I go once, I go twice, it hasn't helped me, goodbye. You have to have the patience with homeopathy. It's a journey. Mm. It's not a wham-bang. And uh, the good thing is, though, it's not like when you go into the psychologist or the osteopath, you go twice a week and pay more money, a lot more money over that time. You go once a month or you talk on the phone. It's much easier. In the end, the expenses are less. All you have to be is commit yourself for a longer term and you will get the best results. In acute disease, you're going to get the best results in five minutes. In chronic long-standing disease that has been there for a long time, you have to give it the time. It's a different pace, but you will get better. So Jeremy, let's have a quick break so you can grab some water, take a breath if you need to. So Jeremy, that's very you, nice. Okay. you've also yeah. written a gazillion books and you have got a gazillion more books that you are planning on writing. That's right. You yeah. maybe want to tell mm -hmm. us about Krypton. Before we started, you asked me an interesting question. Do you remember that? what that was? No. I'll remind you. Okay, that's okay. You said, how does it make you feel that you've got all these books to write? Oh, I did, yeah. Do you remember? Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, let's try uh, that. How does it and, make and, you feel and, that you've written all these books and you've got a gazillion more books that you want to write? With all these books that I want to write, first of all, you mentioned some homeopaths. It's very prevalent that they just get people to write their books for them. Yeah. I don't do that. It doesn't suit me. I would love it to happen. But nobody writes it the way I want it to be written. Mm. So I write it myself because I want it to be quality. So when I write, I'll spend five years on a book, maybe 10 years on a book. I want it to be the best quality also in the way of writing, not just something that somebody typed out. Because I have all my lectures typed out many times by students. 
it, it doesn't read nicely. I wanted oh, to read. Oh, interesting. Because I was going to say, surely if you just record yourself as you're going for a wonder in Kilimanjaro or as you're playing backgammon and something comes up and you're just talking in a speakerphone and somebody dictates it's, it, surely it's this, that it's would be... all one. recorded a million times. All my lectures are recorded, written, typed. There's a wonderful homeopath called Rebecca Stirrup, which yes, you probably know. Yes, she's amazing. She's been on the yeah. show three times, yeah, or twice. Yeah. She is. She's great. Love her. And she typed out all my AIDS course and all my COVID course, and she did a great job of it. I can't put that as a book. Some people might, I can't. I need it to be, to sound good, to be good literature, if possible, as best as I can produce, to be nicely put together. So I won't compromise on doing mm -hmm. that. When if I croak and I haven't finished, then they can publish my the rest of the stuff like mm -hmm. that. But while I'm around, I do a good job. So <laughs> for instance, my book on syphilis, it was all lectures I had, but it, it took me years to put it together because I want I put it together with poems and I tried to write nicely and I edited 10,000 times to get the product that I want. That's just me. It's a, not a good thing. Otherwise, I would have written all the books and made more money, but that's how I am. <laughs> and I'll tell you, there's a story. There's a wonderful book that goes with helium. So it's a great fiction, but it's partly involves elements of reincarnation, which is typical for the remedy helium, which is all about incarnation. Okay. And there's a story there, a wonderful story in this book. Dara Horn is the author. She's a New York Jewish lady, and it's called The World Beyond. Okay. So there's this old Jewish rabbi who dies and goes to heaven, and they put him in this library that is full of the most wonderful books. Mm. And he is so happy. He says, wow, this is my heaven. This is great. I can sit here reading all these books now. They say, uh-uh. These are not the books for you to read. These were the books you were supposed to have written while you were alive. Oh. Oh. And that is in my head all the time. <laughs> I so feel I've very mean these... saying this, but I'm glad that's haunting yeah. you because we, when you've got 40 yeah. years behind you, it's such a, you've got so much experience and it's amazing learning from people like you that have got that much experience. And I just, I am somebody that really dislikes reinventing the wheel and I just feel if somebody's already done something amazing why would I go and redo that I would rather just learn from that person and yeah. go from there sorry no pressure well, I but, totally, yeah. <laughs> totally agree and I don't invent wheels because I take Hahnemann and I take Kent and I take other great homeopaths but I try to translate it into a modern way of thinking without yeah. changing one out of, of the main message that they are giving mm. anyway I need to live a long time to finish writing these books. So that's the reason I try and live healthy. Otherwise, I don't care. But I made a list the other day of books I can think of writing and I came to 30 something. Then I stopped because I realized it's too much anyway. I'm lucky now that as well as a good helpers, one of the people who has come back into my life is Wendell O'Reilly. Oh. Uh, she was a student in my dynamic school in 1993. And everybody in the school has to write a project at, for finishing project. And her project was to categorize the organ and into sections. Is that is her sitter so also Brewster? Yes. She's exactly. the one that, okay, wonderful. Yeah, she translated the organ. Wow, uh, so she studied so, with you. 
Yeah, yeah, in 93. Oh. And because she did this project for the school of dividing the organ into sections, then because of that, she became dissatisfied with the translation. Because of that, she went and translated it. I'm very uh, grateful which to her, her for that. <laughs> took her four years to translate. Mm. Now, I wrote the foreword to that and to that organ. But I wasn't totally happy. So there were parts that I loved and there were parts I wasn't totally happy. So she was wanted to know why I was not happy. This is 30 years later. We're good friends, but hadn't seen each other for a long time. She came to Tanzania. We sat by the swimming pool here and because we both love to swim. And I told her this, that's why I'm not happy. So she decided to translate it again, which she's doing now. She learned German for that purpose, and we're working with a German-speaking homeopath, Chris Kurtz, and myself, I'm the philosophy department. So, so we're doing that, that book. Now, uh, she's still being linguistically correct to Hahnemann, and that's usually where it becomes difficult. So I am writing my own organ now. There are various kinds of translations you can do. You can do a word for word, you can do Elusa, and I'm doing an adaptive translation. Adaptive translation is the loosest type. It means that you take a, a Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet, and turn it into a 21st century movie of rock and roll, whatever. Mm. That's adaptive translation. You're using the same idea, but putting it into modern context, which is what I'm doing now with the organ. And so we're doing two organs. She's doing her more linguistically correct one. I don't care about the linguistics. I'm just translating the meaning in today's words and with today's examples of disease and everything else. So that's, I try and do a paragraph for every three or four days and move along with that. Jerry, uh, I just want to thank you in advance because I am one of those people that find it really hard to read the old texts when they talk yeah. about dropsy and it's oh you have to go look up what on earth is dropsy and they use yeah. it I know, I mean, all these really you um, can read about the plague of the levant and who cares about the plague of the levant i've got covid exactly that's yeah. yeah i'm not somebody that cares about the linguistics either i have to say because i have a busy practice i want to know what on earth does this guy mean in this language today yeah. with words that we use and i feel a lot of time is wasted by having to go yeah. and do research and use the repertories these days are pretty good in that if you use a word that's say if you were to say blocked ear it will take you to stopped ear or if you say metrorragia it will take you to heavy flow or the repertories yeah. are pretty good these days but it's still heavy, yeah. wasting time trying to figure out what is this word and what does it mean in today's time so that's Absolutely. very exciting yeah which is what i'm doing and also changing the grammar from the passive to the active and making it like a smooth easy read even with a little bit of humor in it because hanuman <laughs> Hanuman liked humor. He had his jokes in the organ, quite a lot of it. He does, and lots of rants as well. I sometimes feel if we can cut some of the rants well, out, that would actually be really good because I, yeah, it's, you can tell uh, he was a listen, passionate Aries. You can see that fire coming out uh, in his well, writing. But I can see that he, if you think of how he was chased from town to town, I think if maybe he wasn't 
He probably could have worded things in a nicer way. They always say you can catch more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. But uh, yeah, but we, we we leave that for the Virgos and the Leos and the Sagittarius. <laughs> yes. you know, that's, that's not what we do. So you see, <laughs> I've got this online webinar that I do for professionals, which is called Seven R, mm. and that is restoring roots, rules, remedies, something else, and rants. And I rant there because I love ranting, <laughs> but I don't rant at the homeopaths. I rant at what I see is poor practices in homeopathy, mm. but I do it in a nice way, but I rant. And Hanuman ranted all through the organism. <laughs> I just try and make it a, a more modern rant. Mm. If he ranted against cupping and bloodletting, yeah, who cares? Mercury, yeah. So I rant yeah. against the vaccine instead. You know. Excellent. Oh, I but like the idea of that. Yeah. yeah. But say, love to rant. If you can convert that language into usable language with us, I'll forgive you about the rants. <laughs> we'll make that a okay. deal. Okay. <laughs> oh, good. You'll enjoy the rants, I think. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, you, right. you've done so many provings. Can you tell us a little mm. bit about why you feel provings are important? How do the provings come to you? How do you decide what proving to do? Mm. In what sort of way do they affect you? Have any of them affected you in a deep way? I'm just going to throw it all out there and see what sticks. Throw it all out there. <laughs> the first proving was an accident. It was that scorpion. I didn't, I wasn't looking for provings. I was looking for scorpion. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I found the scorpion. That's it. Done my job being there, done that. And only about eight years later, I said, hey, you can do more of these. So I started doing them on a regular basis. Now, to be a professional homeopath, I think you have to be involved in approving. Approving rarely separates, having done approving, a proper full-blown proving separates the girl from the woman in homeopathy. Because you are going to experience something you've never seen before, which is it's a human-made epidemic, not like a mandemic that I mentioned before, but it's provings are totally parallel to epidemics because you give a remedy to a group of people and then you have to look at it as if one person. Mm. But the whole process is so full of educational issues for homeopath understanding. You never have the opportunity in clinic to see that giving one remedy affects 30 different people, each one in a different way. Mm. What is primary? What is secondary? Who gets better? Who gets worse? How long does it last? All this is fascinating to see. Then you have to learn how to put it all together, how to find the meaning of behind the many words, how to turn it from just a document into a materia medica, how to repertorize it. There are many lessons involved. It takes a long time if you're doing other stuff. Some provings have taken me 15 to 20 years to finish. But the good thing is I never give up on them. I never give up on approving. I've got provings that were lost for 15 years. Who knows where? And I'd go to every corner of the earth and I reassemble them and I got them out there. I will not give up on any proving. And there's still provings that I'm working on now from 15 years ago. I won't give up. But they are amazing, fascinating things to do. And the thing is, us homeopaths, we are shamans. We are modern, scientific, logistical shamans, but shamans we are. You've got the shaman earrings on. Yeah, so I, do. <laughs> I can tell. Now, shamanism always 
involves trying your own medicines. Mm. Every shaman from Alaska to South America to South Africa will experiment with what they're using mm. in order to know it, in order to feel it. So it's not just like the alapas uh, who just read about it in a book. Mm. We go there and we look when we go there, we discover one of our many shadow sides. We think we are who we are. I'm Jeremy, you are Eugenie, we know who we are, you know what we do. But when we do approving, it's going to take you out of that comfort zone. And it's going to show you a side of yourself that has been hidden. The scorpion, the diamond, the whatever proof. I've got a poem about that. I'll read it to you later if I can find it. It teaches us not only about nature, not only about new remedies, but it shows us a side of ourselves mm. that we were not aware of till now. And it shifts at our identity. And in that way, it makes us more flexible mm. to know that we can be many things, which in shamanism is called shape-shifting. Approving teaches us how to shape-shift and how to be something else, somebody else. And it's not easy and how to deal with it, that you're suddenly a different person. But that is why Hanuman and Kent both say that provings make you healthier. They increase your health. You're going to suffer. Herring says this quote, he says, we suffer and we enjoy it. Because it's not fun doing a proving. I can tell you, you get migraine, you get irritable, you get mm. this, you get that. But we enjoy it because it's going to increase our health, teach us about ourselves, and open up a corner of the universe that we never knew about, which is an amazing thing. It's a personally, it's a wonderful experience. And it's a wonderful experience for homeopathy to discover a new remedy. And it's amazing when you do that, and you see this remedy used in 1000s of cases that validates what you have done. It's you like know, writing a like, really good song. And then I always think the epitome would be if you write viral. an iconic song and you go and do a concert and you have thousands of people singing that back to you. If you're like Bono standing there on the stage and everyone's singing Beautiful Day back to you and knowing that you were the one that wrote that song. I think proving exactly. a new remedy and writing the Materia Medicon, that must be what that feeling is like your remedy being used to go and cure thousands of cases. Take salmon, for instance. There is no other remedy comparable for infertility. Mm. It's just amazing. When I came to Africa, I taught my local homeopathic friend uh, salmon, and I came back a year later, he said 35 times out of 35, he gave salmon in infertility, it worked. Oh, so that's... it's wonderful because there's so many babies born as a result of this remedy that it's really great. And infertility so, is almost an epidemic in itself. It's if you are a homeopath specialized in infertility, yeah, you are so busy. Absolutely. I so, actually just got a text um, message just this morning from a client of mine who's pregnant. They're the text messages I love the most. Oh, well <laughs> it's amazing. Anyway, so every proving like that is a total adventure in, in discovery of nature, yourself, homeopathic philosophy, homeopathic technique and finding a remedy. It's a wonderful thing. Mm. Now, how do I choose the remedies? Some of them I choose scientifically, meaning logically with my left brain. For instance, the noble gases. Studying the periodic table, the noble gases, there are seven of them, seven noble samurai. And each one of them is the perfection of the whole row in the periodic table. 
If you've got the first row hydrogen, helium is a perfect hydrogen. And the second row goes from lithium to fluoride, eight elements. But neon at the end of that is the perfection, meaning everybody in that row wants to be like neon. You want me to show it to you? Yeah, to let's you. do that. That's exciting. We get to have some bonus content. Okay, so there's a periodic table, which I just love the periodic table because there's so many secrets inside and the universe is built out of the periodic table. So if you know the periodic table, you've got it all. Now, these are the rows and these are the elements like houses in a street. And you've got all these seven houses in a street. And then at the end of the street, you've got one house where the really successful, rich, intelligent people live. And they've got everything. All these houses on the street, they're not happy. They like no money, no food, no kids, no intelligence, no profession. No, they're totally discontent. And this neon is full house. He is totally content and has everything. And that's how all these noble gases are. Helium, neon, argon, krypton, xenon, radon. And I call the last one luciferium, even though the scientific community doesn't agree with me. And they gave it some stupid name. Never mind. Why do you now, call it that? Because you see, Lucifer is the angel of God that God loved the most. And God said to Lucifer, look, you got to go down to earth and help the people there because Lucifer was full of light. And Lucifer said, I can't do that, God. I love you so much, I can't leave you. And he wouldn't go. So God banished him to the center of the earth where he lives now. But he is the radioactive light force. These are all radioactive. So he is the light at the end of the journey, element 118, the last one. And he has the power to transform everything. It's not an evil thing. It's just the light at the darkest point. Wow. Now, so you see each one of these seven samurai has its own characteristics. But what I thought to myself back in 1986 is that if we understand the noble gas, then we will have a way to understand what all these other elements want, what they want to achieve. Because the whole of chemistry is built on one thing only. All these elements are trying to imitate the noble. All these guys on the whole street are thinking, let's get together and then we'll be like the noble at the end of the road. So for instance, you, you know the remedy natrum muriaticum, natrum chloride, okay? And natrum muriaticum is like love, disappointment and grief and stuff like that. Now, natrum, you see, this is Devon, it has one external electron, and this one is 17, it has seven external electrons. They will join together to have eight, which makes them look like argon. So they are trying this table salt thing, natrum muriaticum is trying to look like argon, mm. to imitate argon, except they won't be able to do it perfectly. So Natrum muriaticum is a great remedy for love disappointment that didn't go, that was never meant to be, like falling in love with the wrong person, the married person, whoever it is. Mm. Argon is the love disappointment from the perfect union, 
the perfect love between two people and then for whatever reason they have to separate now but the love itself was perfect so that's just one of many examples to show you how these are the perfection it's and beautiful having that visual rest- representation so definitely for our podcast listeners you'll have to hop onto the youtube channel and check out the visual representation okay. makes it really easy when you've got that visual i'm a very visual learner anyway so it's really nice i can just imagine that street of houses and that really flash house right at the end and yeah very interesting exactly and the flash people and the people who have made it and have it all of course they have their own problem Mm. because they're so perfect they don't mix they don't mix with anybody they don't go to the party at the end of the road these they have a problem that's why they call the inert gases too because they don't mix with anybody Mm. so they can get pretty inert there's two sides to them as well But my journey, my 30-year journey in studying these in depth is to, through understanding these, I get to understand what is perfection, what is the downside of perfection, Mm. because perfection isn't perfect, and what all these other guys are looking to achieve. Mm. So it's, that's the game. But I've proved many remedies from this periodic table as well as the nobles approved hydrogen, approved, let's see, gallium, germanium, iridium, neum, tantalum, all kinds, many of them approved. Because my aim is to prove the whole periodic table so that we can move on. Oh, uh, Jeremy, you, I have a feeling you are going to need to take a few more of the noble gases yourself. So you don't have that need to make all your books perfect, that you can just get them out there for us to use. <laughs> okay. I've taken, them, I've taken them all and I'm still sick. So no hope. Oh, well, have, you'll have to do the last one then. Have you, you haven't done the Luciferium yet? No, I've finished, uh, I'm finishing the Krypton now. Okay. You know, and Krypton, I proved in 1996. But I'm just finishing the book now. Mm. I started working on it seven years ago, and I hope it will be published next year. But they are the most amazing remedies because Krypton is all goes into stuff like quantum physics, and it's all about Einstein and Newton and uh, Alice in Wonderland and stuff like that, and where they all meet together. That's Um, really cool. That sounds like a remedy for homeopathy because my husband always says Mm -hmm. we need to rebrand homeopathy to nanomedicine or that quantum aspect of it. So, yeah, maybe when you finish Mm -hmm. Krypton, then there will be this revolution in homeopathy. I hope so. (laughs) Rebranding. But uh, yeah, that's amazing. Do you know, I think one of the worst things I somebody could ever ask me to do, apart from going to the dentist, would be to take approving like all the proving information and put that into a book that would be my worst nightmare because when you've got all those gazillions of symptoms from because we did approving all i'll the, tell you something all yeah. these is it's everybody's nightmare until they do it okay. until they do it because in these seminar webinars um where i rant now one of my rants is that people or use all the new materia medicas that are very nice and easy and essency and all that. Mm. And it's fine in the beginning, at the first levels. But if you want to go further, mm. you have to go deeper into go the to that process. You have to jump a level. I'll yeah. tell you a thing that I did with them in the webinars. Mm. I read them the proving of pulsatilla. Weepy, timid, decisive, all that kind of stuff. 
And they're like, okay, that's approving of Pulsatilla, we know. And then they said to them, no, that's approving of Naxlamika, not of Pulsatilla. And then that's I read them the proving of Naxlamika. Yeah, that blew their mind totally. Then I read the proving of Naxlamika and I showed them how that can look like Pulsatilla. But we, for the sake of convenience, we like to take it and mold it into nice little neat essences that are fine for the beginning. But if you want to jump a level, then you have to go to the proving. Then I took provings with them that they had never seen before. The last two months, we took the proving of herring, the mm. fish, not the homeopath. And um, <laughs> up some bones. This, was a, this was the proving that nobody looked at, nobody knew. Misha Norland, I did it in memory of Misha, mm. who died last year. Mm. So it was a proving it did 10, 15 years back, and nobody ever used it. So we studied the proving symptom by symptom. Now it looks totally boring, total nightmare, like you say, yes. Mm. But if you've got somebody to guide you through it, mm. then suddenly, boom, the whole thing opens up. Suddenly you see the logic running through the symptoms and it's not just the empty list. Mm. And when you do that, you get to be a better homeopath because then uh, when your patient comes to you, you will know how to weave the symptoms into a meaningful web. And now everybody's using the herring, which is great. I you will know. take that on board, Jeremy. It feels like that's the next level that I need to go to because I also I feel that it would be like an insight. It sounds to me like what you're saying is once you've actually gone through that process, you'll have an insight into that remedy. And then once you understand it on that level, you'll probably never forget that remedy again. It will be probably gone. It's not only that. You'll learn how to tackle symptoms and weave them together. Okay. Usually if you do, I'll send you the seven hours. You can do the seven hours. You can see me ranting. Okay. Um, I have my bottle I'll, I'll still, handy. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I'll just tell you the other side of choosing remedies to prove. And the other side is totally intuitive. And in that way, I do the shamanic thing. I say to the universe, I need to do a proving. Please send me an omen. And then I leave myself open. And then the moment I'm really open, sometimes it takes a while until I'm really open, because sometimes I say it, but I'm not really <laughs> there. But once I'm really open, I'll get 10 omens in a day, and then I'll know what to prove, something I didn't expect. Give you an example. I was teaching in Denver for four years, and so then they needed to do a proving. So I'm like, okay, please, God, universe, send me a proving. Okay, so I'm in the hotel teaching. I go upstairs and the TV is on Nature Channel and there's a program about dragonflies. Oh. Okay, cool. I phoned my wife in Finland. She said, oh, you should see my dad just bought this beautiful book about dragonflies. Oh. I look, what movie am I going to see? There's a movie called The Dragonfly. I go outside and there's a new car that's called Dragonfly. <laughs> so if you really, oh, and I've done that many times, if you open yourself, you'll get the message mm. of what you need to prove. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Jeremy, yeah. we've got loads more things we can talk about, but I feel before we finish off, we should really talk about your Patreon site. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that and yes. why you've decided Thank to set you. it up, Thank how they that. can get hold of it, what they can find mm -hmm. there and how that is supporting the amazing work that you're doing already? I've got, other than all these books, I've got so many articles and videos that I've made over the years and all kinds of stuff that I've done over the years, a huge amount of stuff that collected, which I always wanted to publish as a book called Lesser Writings. 
<laughs> but not and in I, brackets above that, not so lesser writings. <laughs> yes, something like that. But I saw this will never happen because I'm too busy. So I wrote in my will, I command you people, you will not get a penny from me unless you collect all your writings and put all my writings and put it together. But I know they will not do it because it's just, it's too difficult. They won't find it all. They won't know how to put it together. And I don't want the stuff to get lost. And really, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Articles from 40 years and videos and podcasts and webinars, all that stuff. So I looked for years, how can I do this? And finally, this Patreon came along. We looked at a few alternatives mm. and this Patreon is perfect for me. So I'm loading a lot of stuff. I must have loaded 30, 40 articles and more videos and provings and all kinds of stuff. And I've got lots more to load. And then it's a subscription program. I'm trying to make it reasonably priced. And all that is available, plus you get all kinds of nice extras. I'll do a Zoom once in a while and answer questions. And But really, it makes me incredibly happy because if I can take that line out of my will and just <laughs> say all that is out there and I don't have to worry about it. And I don't have to make it perfect either. That's a great thing. Mm. Otherwise, I'll just mess around with it for years trying to get the perfect book. So this way, I just put it in and it's subject to change and stuff like that. So I've been working on that loading stuff for the last six months. My wife did one, Kamala, on agri-homeopathy. She mm. did it in two weeks. <laughs> Took me six, six months messing around with it. And finally, it's just about ready to go. And Liz, my astrology commander, told me it has to come out on the 23rd of November. Oh, that's so my daughter's birthday. Of, <laughs> hey, because it's, it's a good day. According to Liz's astrologers, oh, really? like, oh, oh very good day. Sagittarius is going out of <laughs> Neptune. I don't know what. All the bad stuff that has happened till now is going to start to clear on the 23rd of November, and then it just get better and better oh, for everybody. I'm so glad for so my that's... daughter. What a cool day to have her eighth birthday. And what a cool, sorry, it's all about the Patreon. My kids have been Oh, everything. no, what a great. She'll get the book for her birthday, and uh, and I'll get the Patreon. So, so what's we'll, the link? We'll, we'll send you the link. Liz will send you the link because we haven't actually opened it up yet. Okay. So uh, I'll send it to you. It will be there, and I'm really so happy about that because it's you can get uh, that out there and people can start using it straight away. Is out there. There's a huge amount of stuff, really, and good stuff. Yeah, I hope. People will want to look at it. There's also fun stuff like music and stuff like that and fun videos. Yeah. Oh, that sounds amazing. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much. What a great way for us to finish off on. I know the homeopaths listening to this are going to go nuts. So you better get that up quickly because you are going to get hounded to get that up pretty uh, quick. 23rd of now, November. Yeah, that's supposed to be the launch date and we'll send you the link. And oh, now I've found the book I want to read you. Oh, please do. Uh, That'll be nice to finish yeah. up on. So it's called Homeo Shamanism. I know what Diamond thinks. I have swum with the salmon, flown in an eagle, been stung by a scorpion. I have been raped by rapeseed, played the magic argon garden, solved cryptic riddles, been crossed by xenon. I have tamed wild rice, been suppressed by germanium, sued by mercium, 
tempted by tantalum. I have hatched a neon egg, incarnated with helium, irradiated iridium, met a hydrogen god and the icy isolated hell of Pluto. I have been nourished by olive, confused by you, pacified by poplar, seduced by pomegranate, suffocated by almond, beaten by baobab. I, the jade emperor, have been cut down to size by a sapphire. I have danced with a deer, reminiscent wheat, doubted scandium, sneezed with damselfly, wept with wheat. I have cried the grief of swan, breastfed on chocolate, followed the North Star. I have shapeshifted fungi, frozen beneath gallium seas, sought status in hafnium, timelessness in honey. All those, all these I have been, all these have been me, to know, to forget who I am, who are we. That is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you okay. so much okay. for sharing this gift with us. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. And you need to live for at least another 100 years so you can complete all your Both work and it can be perfect. <laughs> okay. And I want to just say thank you, Jeannie, for your great support of Homeopathy for Health in Africa. We really appreciate it. You've done a lot for us and that's really marvelous. It keeps us going. Tomorrow morning, I go to the hospital where we have a free clinic. I'll be seeing at least 50 new patients and 10 follow-ups. It's a very intense day. We work without a break. People get much better. And I'll tell you something, in that hospital, we have our clinic in the hospital. It's outside. They kicked us out of the room, so we work outside in the garden. All the other departments are empty. Our department is full. We have people waiting that we can't see enough. Everybody comes to our clinic. No, nobody's going to the rest of the hospital anymore, wow. so, which is wonderful. Yeah, really good. Amazing. Thank you so okay, much for everything so thanks that you do for, for that support. We, we appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Have a wonderful day. And thank you so much for today. I really appreciate it.